0: Hey there, this is What the Riff, a podcast that takes you back to riff and reminisce about the days of old, that old time rock and roll. We're going to share a few songs off an album of the month from the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s, with some individual staff picks and a little more. You're going to hear some well-known favorites along with a few deeper cuts that may re-inspire you. If you hear something you haven't heard in a while, or if it's totally new to you, visit our website, whattheriff.com, and you can download these songs to your playlist. We hope you enjoy the riffs and our riffing about them on What the Riff, brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and also Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So for now, enjoy this episode of What the Riff?
1: Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs found Apple Computer in the garage of Jobs' parents' house. Barbara Walters becomes the first female Nightly News Network anchor. And the United States Treasury Department reintroduces the $2 bill with Thomas Jefferson on it as part of the United States Bicentennial Celebration. And the Philadelphia Phillies, trailing 12-1, have the National League's greatest comeback, winning 18-6 in 10 innings as Mike Schmidt hits four consecutive home runs. You're listening to What The Riff. I'm Wayne.
2: I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce.
1: And we're listening to April of 1976, and Bruce has our album of Spotlight today. What do you got, Bruce?
3: I have Rush. And this is 2112. I've been looking forward to this. A friend of mine suggested this some time ago. And uh, this is the album... This is the one where Rush really becomes Rush. So, for those of you that aren't familiar, Geddy Lee is on lead vocals and bass. Alex Lifeson is on guitar. And Neil Peart is on percussion. So, this is their fourth album. And uh, the first was named Rush, and they actually didn't have Peart on drums. They're they're famous for, uh, for the drums and the lyrics, and that's all Neil Peart. Right. So... This uh, the the first album was uh, more of a had John Rutsey on drums. It was a hard rock blues style album. Second album was uh, Fly By Night. That was the first one with Peart, and it was uh, it was a, more of a prog rock type of thing. It was successful.
1: Now the first album had uh, Working Man, so that was the kind of big hit if yeah. you were to
3: call that. That was more Zeppelin esque, yeah. but uh, but more just straightforward rock and roll. Um, caressive steel was their third one, and it was not successful in fact I think I already did uh, a staff pick on the steel day yeah it was it was a, it was not a, a critical hit it was not a commercial hit it was really they, they were really on the rocks
2: they were basically told by the record company you're gonna do it this way <laughs> that's right and basically rush gave them the old finger salute, if you will, and said, no, we're going to do it this way, and then they released this album, and that's, it, it exploded.
3: That's exactly right, Brian. What happened, um, the the, Mer- the label, Mercury Records, was going to drop them, and wow. uh, their, uh, their their manager, Ray Daniels, negotiated to, to make one more album, and the label wanted them to make something more accessible. They had, the previous album, the entire back half of it was uh, was one song called The Fountain of Laminate, Laminate. and, uh, They wanted them to get back to more uh, more traditional songs, and so Rush basically said, "We're going to either do it our way, or we're going to go out our way, one way one way or the other." So uh, they decided that the entire first side of Twenty One Twelve was going to be a concept album. Um, This is this is the overture, and um, uh, it was the last song that was done. It's uh, it's basically. Uh, kind of takes themes from all of the rest of the, the song and, and, and puts it into one right at the front. So it's very similar to a classical style symphony or something. Uh, it's a straightforward overture. Um, it's heavily influenced by a- Ayn Rand's anthem. We'll get into that a little bit. This is a cool part of the overture right, right here. It makes it a tempo change. I throughout this song. That's right. In concert, where, where it gets to that uh, that fourth beat, They'll flash the, the they'll flash the spots on the, the crowd and everybody just shouts. Yep. Yeah like that. It's
2: really cool. Been there, done that, and enjoyed every minute of it. Absolutely.
1: What I like how talented they were is that you if you hang had on just a second. second I want to point
3: out one sure. thing here. Listen to this. Recognize that. 1812 overture. Good call. That's from the 1812 overture. And then we get all the explosions and things. One other before and it's about to get into the second set. So. just explodes into Temple of the Terror series. Love Love it. it. Yeah, that's great. What I
1: like about this is a lot of times bands drop from a live album to uh, their studio albums. Mm -hmm. If you buy the live album, it is very close to what this is. Right. It's all the world's a stage, and and, and that was was a great album as itself on its own. If you sort of want to kind of bypass the... The lesser-known songs from from Rust, but that's 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 an area I'd, I would look at if you're, you're just a casual Rush fan. Absolutely.
3: Here's the chorus. So this this is where he's introducing the kind of the sci-fi dystopian theme of the horror. The uh, the priests of the temples of Sirens are the ones that rule the planet, and they actually rule several planets, and they're. Uh, They're basically, they have taken care of everything that that anybody needs, and and the cost is there's no creativity, there's no individualism. By the way, you cannot, listen to these lyrics. Okay, you cannot understand a word that Lee is saying. (laughs) You can't often understand what he This was a time where it was very difficult to understand some of his some of his lyrics, but uh, he, he's uh, he's screaming way up there. And I know when I was listening to this as a as a kid, you know, you just basically kind of go through that because it's too high to sing anyway. Yes. And then it gets to this chorus, "We are the priests," everybody can hear <laughs> that,
0: <laughs> and everybody can go, "Hey!" on that cor- on that That's fourth right. beat, and beat.
3: they're right on beat. That's right. So the, the very first words on it are, we've taken care of everything, the words you read, the songs you sing, the pictures that give pleasure to your eye. One for all and all for one, work together, common sons, never need to wonder how or why. Ah,
1: oh, sounds like the typical utopia that you'd live it in. It
3: is, it is. Well, like I said, they were heavily influenced by Ayn Rand's Anthem during this time. Uh, that was a dystopian science fiction novel written in 1937. And in fact, Rush credits the genius of Ayn Rand in the album liner notes I got a lot of criticism for it um, this we're moving now into part three which is called discovery and the idea here is the protagonist has gone into this cave and he has found a um, found a guitar
2: This is, I have to say personally excuse me for interrupting other than overture, this is my favorite on this whole side yeah. I love this what can this strange device be let me just
3: exactly <laughs> it is it, what's cool uh, I heard an interview with Alec Lifeson, and he was talking about this he said that that um, they actually had to time it because you know you hear him hit tuning and tuning the guitar right well you can't do that in like 15 seconds so they had to detune it just slightly and then you know so they had to time that but the idea is he's wandered into this cave behind this this waterfall and found this thing <laughs> and He's playing around with it. And you hear he's getting a little better. Wouldn't it be nice if you learning a guitar is this quick? I, I would, <laughs> uh, I've would
0: played awesome. the guitar,
1: and it takes a lot of work.
0: I can play Shoe Fly.
2: I can barely <laughs> I <don't>, say it.
3: <laughs> so I looked on the Rush website, and it, it talks about some things. I think this might be in the liner notes. Um, kind of telling the story. It says, I learned to lay my fingers across the wires and to turn the keys to make them sound differently as I struck the wires with my other hand I produced my first harmonious sounds and soon my own music how different it could be from the music of the what temples can i can't I wait to tell the priests about it
2: when i
1: touch it it gives forth a sound it's got wires i wonder if I he I had a chord chart sitting up on the music. wall so you know where to put his fingers on these <laughs> what can
3: So I, I said they got a lot of criticism for this. Um, it, it, there was actually a, people that labeled labeled them right wing extremists for quoting uh, Rand here. The professor
2: and being a right wing extremist? Yeah. Well, She's more I mean,
1: libertarian than right wing, but yeah, they, anybody that has that strays from the path that, that's laid in front of you is
3: right. considered right-wing. right wing. It's not said a libertarian. And what I think really hurt them is that the uh, you've got. Um, You've got people that were comparing them to Nazis and um Getty Lee's parents were Holocaust survivors. So I think that really that really kinda of hurt them. Yeah. Well he's Jewish too, so Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely.
1: Mean, let alone the Holocaust Holocaust was all different types, but obviously mainly Jewish. But yeah, Jewish Jewish Holocaust survivors. That's that's just crazy kinda of considering that. They just people believe that you have a freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is.
3: And you see some of that, especially in their early works, you've got a song called Anthem that was on Fly By Night mm-hmm. um, that kind of has that same theme. There's a song on the backside called Something For Nothing that has that, that kind of theme as well.
1: Well, Trees. Trees is the, the whole yeah. typical one that, that, to me, really sings the song of, hey, okay, everybody has equal rights. All right, you have no rights.
3: Right. Exactly. Now they're moving into the presentation. What drum work? Isn't that neat? So here he's taking this guitar to the priests and he's telling them about finding this. The notes say, instead of the grateful joy that I expected, there were words of quiet rejection. Instead of praise, sullen dismissal, I watched in shock and horror as Father Brown ground my precious instrument to splinters before his feet. So that's kind of the response that he got from the priest. I know a
0: little bit of research on, on these guys. I'm amazed at how much they had to memorize. And it's not like they're repeating the same thing over and over again they're right. they're they're telling this story and so you have to you know you're not just memorizing lyrics to a song you're memorizing this story and you've got to tell it all
3: right well i saw i saw an interview with uh, alex lyson and terry brown and this this entire album was made in about three weeks so this was early in their career and they came off of the uh, the tour and they they had come up with a concept on the tour on the bus things like that and then they they jump straight into it
0: but again I guess it's more impressive when you think about them doing it live oh they yeah. just go through the whole
3: thing it, it's, it's very rare for them to do the entire thing live they do they do Overture and Temples of Searings. that's that's kind of what you expect from this album
2: on their 40th though I believe they did the whole first they side have, yeah. they have done the whole yeah, side. That's,
3: that's what I'd heard about that's, I can't imagine that of course
1: we all have seen them live
3: yeah Oh, yeah. Several times. So I'm wearing my Rush shirt today. Five times, Brian. I got a picture.
1: Go five times. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: I got a picture of uh, Professor Fricks over here with his Rush shirt (laughs) on. (laughs) Excellent. This was a fun one because this was uh, the, the Time Machine tour, which was in 2010, and I took my kids to it. And so, you know, it's one of these things when you're when you're growing up going to concerts. You never think about, hey, maybe I'll take my kids to this concert.
2: Well, this is the first concert I took my oldest daughter to. Is it really the first rock concert? She liked Rush, but she was more interested in people smoking pot around her. Dad, did you see that over there? Dad, you know, see <laughs> that, honey? Focus
0: on the song, will you? That's not what we're here to see, honey. No, my kids
3: were saying, "Dad, there's a lot of bald guys here."
1: <laughs> I remember the time I saw him early '80s and Blue Oyster Cult. Was the warm up band for Rush. Huh. And that was actually kind of a cool.
2: <clears throat>
0: yeah, that would have been good.
3: You come back to the temple theme. Listen to Alex on the guitar. You know, the amazing thing, too, was that these guys,
2: Alex Lifeson, they're best friends, uh, Alex and, and uh, Getty, but they've been best friends since eighth grade. Oh, yeah. You know, and they met because they were, as you pointed out, Getty Lee was an immigrant that, had, you know, moved to Canada with his, with his mother I think mm-hmm. and uh, so he and uh, Alex became very good friends at an early age you think that's what 12, 13 years old or 14 years old and they remained friends they decided that it, and it disappointed their families that they dropped out of school but they chased their dream and God bless them you know what it, it, it worked
3: yeah yeah. it's just the, the amazing thing too is you know you always hear about Getty Lee on the bass he's probably one of the top three bassists in the world I would argue that Neil Peart is the greatest percussionist. In, in I would agree with that. I would not Alive argue that now. At all. But uh, Keith
1: Moon kind of was his hero. So
3: well, uh, there, there, there are a few, but I'm I'm going to stick with Neil Peart. Um, the big thing there is uh, Alex Lifeson is a fantastic guitarist, mm-hmm. and a lot of times his work is kind of overshadowed by the other two or by the lyrics of Peart. Well, I um, mentioned before uh, when you have a
1: power trio. Everybody's going to have to be good. It's That's not because yep. someone one is singing while playing. Mm-hmm. The other one, you, know, you got to keep the beat, and then you got to have somebody that keeps that lead instrument going. And right. if you don't have all that working, you're on the outside looking in on any type of success.
3: Okay, we've moved into part five, which is called Oracle: The Dream. So what's happening here is the protagonist is, is having a dream where an oracle takes into a place where people are still creative and individualism is valued. It says, I see the hand of man arise with hungry mind and open eyes. They left the planet long ago, the elder race still learn and grow. So clearly understood. So the big thing there is, so the Oracle is, is basically saying there's another group here, and they're they're going to come and and home to tear the temples down, home to change. So that's the uh, that's the dream. The um, the the next part is part six called soliloquy, and this is where he's kind of waking up from uh, from that dream.
0: I actually like the water,
2: Brook. It's kind of neat, isn't it? Yeah. Well, especially in the '70s, to have
3: that be able to really sound as as clear as it does. Yeah. Well, and you can see what kind of chance that uh, Rush is taking mm-hmm. here. You know, this is not this is not radio friendly. No, you know.
1: No, no. I never heard this on the radio at all. No,
3: it, it, it's. And you won't.
1: It was. I mean. I hate to see this they were a cult band basically a guy cult band for the longest time mm-hmm. you didn't see a whole i mean it's probably 90 10 90 percent 10 percent uh ratio guys to girls yeah. at a concert you know, Well, they, that's, jo-
3: they, 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 they joked about that at the 2010 concert at the very end they're coming there's they've got these little comedy things at the beginning and the end and at, at the very end they're coming they're walking back through the the backstage and they're like that was a great concert and uh, uh pierce says yeah i think i saw three women in the audience <laughs>
0: i saw the the 2010 tour of the time machine i went down to tampa uh-huh. this is a friend of mine doug aiken and we we saw it down there at the outside venue it was really
3: amazing now,
1: now, Rush took a hiatus because some tragedy with Neil Peart.
3: Yeah, that was um, that was uh, in the uh, early 2000s, I mm-hmm. believe, and mm-hmm. uh, his, his daughter died in an accident and his wife, shortly after that, died of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, although Peart basically believes she died of a broken heart more than anything else. And, yeah, he took some time off and uh, he actually wrote a book called uh, Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm about his time on the road he he took off on a motorcycle and basically rode all over North America over
2: 50,000 miles on his motorcycle. Yeah, Very
1: he, it went to Mexico too. Yeah, I, I, yeah,
3: I, I all heard about He
1: just he just took off and just took a credit card and left. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. This this line So that's the end of soliloquy and the idea is He's, he's basically he can't live in this world anymore and so he commits suicide. And now we're taking off into the grand finale.
1: This is my favorite part especially the end. <laughs> I get the whole, whole resistance of true child yeah. vibe on that whole Star Trek once again back to the nerd thing the
3: the there's a picture on the album that they got some criticism for about uh, Satanism and mm-hmm. things like that the picture is um, a red star um, inside a circle and a man standing with his hands up, uh, up toward it and the eye the the image is the red star represents the the Temples of Syrians In mm-hmm. fact If you listen to the words There's one part Where they say Holding the red star That's I mean it's it's Totalitarianism Is what that represents
1: Yeah As the, the star Of the Soviet Union Sure Yeah and, the, exactly. and people took it As demonic
3: Exactly But in this case It's a, it's an individual Standing up to mm-hmm. The collective
2: Well critics Will be critics yeah. They're going to find Something to criticize.
3: They're just jamming out Right, right here that belief
0: was one of the reasons I really didn't listen to Rush a whole lot at that time.
3: Well, it, uh, my wife, Sandy, I took her to a Rush concert, and it was interesting because it was uh, either while we were in college or shortly after that, and she ran into some friends from college, and one of them said, Sandy, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's like two Baptists in the liquor store. <laughs> That's right. I don't see you, and you don't see me. Here comes that last line that Wayne was talking about. And this is uh, Neil Peart. Now, here's the question. Who has assumed control? It's kind of a Hitchcock end. Maybe Ah. it's the creatives, and maybe it's not. Can't go wrong with Rush.
0: You're listening to What The Riff from April of 1976, featuring Rush and the album 2112. We hope you are enjoying this episode. We would like to ask you, if you shop on Amazon, please use the link from our website, whattheriff.com, as a portal to get onto Amazon for anything that you purchase. That way, What The Riff can get a little bit of extra cash, which we will use for equipment and advertising to try to build our audience following. Likewise, if you'd like to be part of our followers we ask you to join us on facebook and you can also find us on twitter at what the riff we now continue with what the riff from april of 1976
1: Ah, we're now into our tv and movie spotlights of april of 1976 and i didn't pick this one out who picked this one out
3: i believe i threw this one in This is the uh, theme from Beretta. Y'all remember Beretta? Oh, yeah. Robert Blake? Yeah. What was the uh, cockatoo's name? Oh, I don't remember the cockatoo's name. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, trivia question. Fred. (laughs) Was it Fred? Fred. So he was just like this uh, hard-knock kind of a cop. Yep. Sammy Davis Jr.? Yes. Well, not Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) So Beretta was but this is Sammy Davis Jr. and that's that's what I when I looked up these the the uh, the TV shows that were popular this was the thing and I thought oh wait a second we got to get Sammy Davis Jr. on the show
1: Oh, this is very popular. I mean, yeah. I remember when they had the albums of all the top TV theme songs. Yeah. You actually went out and bought them. It was one-minute, two-minute songs. Yeah. But at least you had, like, the theme from M.A.S.H., I mean, Happy Days. Yeah. You had all those.
2: They're all released as singles, and a lot of them did very well on the top 40. Oh, exactly. To your point, Wayne. Was not K-Tel the one that used to produce these albums with us? Oh, of I had
1: tons of k albums. You had probably about—you probably ourselves. had twenty songs on there, and oh, yeah. ten of them were top hits. Five of them were somewhat hits, and then five of them you probably didn't know. But there was—I would call a deep cut—but you know they were kind of pushed by the record companies to try to try to yeah, get out there.
2: Yeah, the thing I learned very quickly is you make you need to make sure when you get a K-Tel album, it's the original songs from the original artist because a lot of times. They would oh, have yeah. cover bands do it for you. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not what I've heard before. So.
1: Well Also, along with Beretta, uh, in April 76, the uh, Skelter, the movie, came out on TV. It was uh, uh, on CBS. It, it detailed uh, Charles Manson's cult family. you know, Talking about the, his capture, the trial, and the convention he had in the aftermath. What I didn't get out of that, because I remember watching it, It scared the heck out of me. Of course, the whole time I was in California, that was a big deal about these crazy hippies. But um, the the thing is how racist that guy really was. When he put swastika on his head, it was a reason, because he did want to try to start a race war. Uh, ABC at the time also aired its first Monday Night Baseball broadcast because they took it over from NBC. And Saturday Night Live producer makes an on-air offer to pay the Beatles $3,000 to reunite for the show. Uh, Supposedly, John Lennon and Paul McCartney were apparently watching the show together in New York City and considered walking down to the studio (laughs) and and accepting the check. (laughs) But uh, that was what was happening uh, on TV in April of 1976. And now we're moving on to staff picks.
0: And I believe you have the first one here, Wayne.
1: Yeah, I did. This one, uh, we're still stuck in the progressive rock era. Uh, this is Starcastle, and they're from Champaign, Illinois. And they they formed in 1969, and they played under a lot of different names. Um, as you can kind of tell, it does have a, a, a long build up. And when you see hear it hit, you're gonna um, going wait a minute. That kind of kind of sounds vaguely familiar.
0: It actually makes me think of Rush a little bit here in this little section. I
3: was actually thinking Sticks myself because yes. of the uh, synthesizer. But, yeah, you definitely have the prog rock vibe.
1: Now uh, as the lead singer comes in.
3: Yes. Is, that, uh, is that John Anderson?
1: No, it is not John Anderson. It's not? No, it's not. This is Star Castle, and it's not John Anderson. It is a lineup that they were really, really, I guess, put upon of being a yes wannabe group. Oh, well,
0: of really. course we know that what the riff all roads all roads lead, lead to yes. yes. <laughs> uh,
1: what's interesting is uh, though not on this album, uh, the the original lineup actually uh, is Terry Luttrell from REO Speedwagon who was original on on that from up to nineteen seventy two was the was the lead vocal on the Star Castle. So okay. So that's how that moved into it, and but yeah, that this is so much like yes, it's it's not even funny, but it it's, you know it moves, mm-hmm. and um, there's it's
3: got a nice beat. It's easy to dance to.
1: <laughs> well, one thing that's interesting about REO speed dragon that uh, happened with uh, Luttrell is the reason why he left. Supposedly they were at a gig uh, in Champaign, Illinois, and during the performance, you know. Uh, Terry Latrell just, you know, got agitated and refused to continue singing. So the the band decided that, you know, he's going to they had to quit the show. They they were so mad they didn't the, the owner of the club they didn't pay him for it. On the drive back, the band actually kicked Luttrell out of the vehicle in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and told him, look. You're going to have to get your own way home. And they all left them out in the middle of nowhere, heading, you know, when they went back. And of course, Ario would go on to become this, you know, super group. And Star Castle,
3: you never heard of them. (laughs) Hmm. It's got a neat sound, I've got to say.
0: What's he saying? Is is he saying, Eye on the Sparrow?
3: I, I I thought
0: something about the shadow. Okay, I just keep hearing "Eye on the Sparrow." Since we well, the song to. is called <laughs> right "Elliptical
1: up. Seasons." Yeah, I didn't say that. But the group is Starcastle. This is their first album. They've had several albums, and if if you like Yes, and you want a wanna be Yes, you know group, you know I would say you know check it out. This first album is actually really good. I enjoyed it. it. You know, it's not the best album. It's not you know the worst album. But if it's you like that type of genre of music.
3: Is it a you know, concept type of thing? Uh, kind like of follows a the theme. Frog Rock.
1: It, they, they have some themes in it, but it, it's there's different movements in it. I mean, there's plenty of groups like this that were out there at the time. So yeah. it's not like you know, Starcastle was anything different than anybody else in that time.
0: That sounds great. I would have thought yes. Great all pick right. there.
1: Well, now we're continuing on with staff picks. I know this song. Yeah. Who's doing this?
0: I've got this one.
1: Rob, what you got? Yeah, for... this
0: was uh, from April of 1976, and ah.
3: this is Mr. David Bowie. The neat thing with Bowie is you get so many different styles. With yes. Them, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, after Ziggy Stardust and all that, and then you get this is kind of a interesting...
3: Yeah. kind of has that little funky sound in the background. This is
0: Golden Years. Do you know when the Golden Years are? I think um,
1: we're supposed to be in it, aren't we? Supposed to be like I'm 50, guessing 50, 50, to, 50 to 65. Yeah.
0: I was hoping that I was not in the Golden Years and now realize I am not in the Golden Years because that is after age 65. It's it's uh, the definition uh, was the advanced years in a lifetime oh duh, yeah the golden years so the uh, tv show it starts after age 65 uh, cuz okay. i was kind of thinking you know, you get your golden anniversary is your 50s and yeah, so i was yeah. kind of thinking here. so yay we're not in the we're not the old guys in the golden years yet
3: that's yeah, right. Yeah, but, I, I'm thinking more about like the the golden uh, what is it the, the golden age. Of, right. You know, usually you think of the height of things as the golden age, but the golden years is a different thing. Yeah. yeah
2: this uh,
0: this was um, actually written and recorded in 1975. Of course, we're covering April of 1976. And at this point in life, from what I'm gathering. Uh, Bowie had a pretty bad cocaine addiction And he was really struggling with it when oh, okay. he wrote this
1: Now I saw Bowie in concert and it was basically oh, It was the greatest hits concert Back in the, I want to say late 80s And it was tremendous I mean, it was probably one of my favorite
3: concerts I ever went to He's an to. entertainer Yeah, exactly oh, yeah.
1: Entertainer, poet I mean, I mean
3: all just those Terribly creative. I mean that's the thing. I don't like all of David Bowie's stuff. Um, but you you recognize the creativity in well, all of it. Well he
1: changed it. so much. He I mean he went from that prog rock glamour rock stuff to, you know, the the thin ties and, oh, yeah. and everything else, you know, the white duke thing. Yeah.
2: Well think oh, about I, think about what he did with Ziggy Stardust and the criticism he took for that.
1: Andro- what is happening to our society? Yeah, the androgynous thing that was going on there. Oh, is he gay? Is he straight? You know, and it, 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 everybody was up in arms back in the 70s about it. Now, we, don't, we wouldn't blink.
3: But that was the idea of it. Of course, yeah. of
2: course. It's all about the show.
3: This
0: uh, Golden Years reached number 10 on the charts. And so it did pretty well. And In addition to his cocaine whistling issue. Uh, yeah, there you go. Nice little whistle. He was one of the uh, uh, few white people to perform on Soul Train, and he showed up drunk.
3: Oh, yeah? yeah Imagine so,
0: that. Yeah, cocaine and, and uh, alcohol problems. But uh, during this time, I think this was kind of a little bit of a transitional album for him. He said that this was written for and rejected by... Elvis Presley. Really? Yeah, he wrote this song for Elvis Presley to sing, so if you can imagine that. I can, I can that.
1: hear hear the song. Of course, you know Elvis would die not too long after this.
0: Yeah. Great so it's Great interesting. Yeah, it's a cool it's little, always little, fun. little track. Next up, we have the Kate Brothers'
2: Union Man from hey. our friend Brian. Yeah. Some of you may uh, not have ever heard of the Kate Brothers, but you probably have heard of this song.
1: Nice some funky. Yeah, uh, we're
2: feeling the, Kate, the funk today. Yes, indeed. The Kate Brothers is the singer-songwriter-musician duo of Earl and Ernie Kate. T- they're twin brothers. Oh. And they're from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Home of what? <laughs> the
1: University of Arkansas.
2: Would that be the Razorbacks? Razorbacks. Sweet. And if you've ever driven up that way, I've never been to Fayetteville per se, but I have taken I-40 from Memphis all the way through into Oklahoma. I and mean, it is beautiful country up there. So not, I don't think there's a lot of other things to do other than hunting fish and It's before you get into the cornfields. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, the Cape Brothers uh, uh, in the mid-60s became performers of country soul music at clubs. and dances. Country soul? Country soul music. <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting. comment. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they, they played at dances and clubs in, in Arkansas and elsewhere in the Mid-South. Uh, both brothers are singers. Earl plays the guitar. Ernie is playing the piano. They were recording artists during the mid to late 70s and again from the mid-90s into the early 2000s. In their hometown, though, in Fayetteville in the 50s, rock and roll pioneer Ronnie Hawkins had also grown up during the 40s, and he owned and operated a, cl- a club called the Rockwood Club. And other early rock musicians came to play there, including listen to this A-list. Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, And Conway Twitty. Conway Twitty? (laughs) Exactly. In the late 50s, the Cape Brothers associated with Hawkins and his band, the Hawks, including drummer Levon Helm. And then in 1958, Hawkins and his band left Arkansas and settled in Canada, and then they went on to form the band. You know that? Yeah. The band.
0: This sounds to me like it could have been played during the TV show Beretta. It does. It has a
3: similar sound to it. Like
0: that gritty cops kind of, Yeah. you
1: know. Well, I was looking at some of the songs that were popular during that time, and, you know, Disco Lady was big then. So, oh, you yeah. know, you had that kind of – this is not a disco beat, more of a funk beat, but, yeah. you know, you, you could tell that's, that we're starting hitting that Boogie Fever was another song, you know. So oh, yeah. So sort of let your love flow. That was, that was right. Bellamy Brothers.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I remember during this time, too, that the record companies had no interest in rock. They yeah. wanted to. They were disco first. Yeah. And then it, uh, this things, was the height of disco. There. This yeah. was, yeah, was. Oh, before yeah.
1: Saturday Night yeah. Fever came. Saturday Night Fever was really the tail end, as they they just. That's when everybody jumped on it. Right. And by the time Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Go Bland came out, everybody went, uh, you guys are already has beens
2: well, Listen. Listen. To some of the uh, the musicians that played and recorded on the album with them. And of course, it was produced uh, by guitar Steve Cropper. You may have heard of him before. Uh, he. He also performed on the record along with Levon Helm, uh, Donald Duck Dunn, and you'll know this one for sure, on bass, if you hear the bass chords, that's played by none other than Timothy B. Schmidt. Ah, uh, very Poco good. Eagles. And the and Eagles. And later he replaced, of course, Randy Meister on the Eagles. Yeah. So there, there's some star power. Oh, he this. went to Poco first and then the Eagles. He was oh. Poco first. So this is, uh, and of course, later on in their career... Uh, they released a, In 1995 release, They released A song called uh, A recent album Radio Land And it featured Blues guitarist Coco Montoya Formerly with A, a 1980s Performed version Of John Mayle And the Blues Breakers Ah
1: yeah so We they, need to spotlight The Blues Breakers yeah. On one of our Album spotlights Eventually Other top songs uh, Dream Weaver By Gary Wright Oh I love that uh, Right back Where we started from Maxine Nightingale Yeah Dream On By Aaron Smith on. And probably the least politically correct song of 1970, April of 1976, "You're Only 16" by Doctor fuck <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can't do that anymore.
1: At least where it's not legal anymore. I <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it, especially you know if you're a rock musician yeah. anymore.
2: But I think in this song, though, you can actually classify it as a one-hit wonder. That was a good pick, Brian.
0: Thanks.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's fun to funk out.
0: We're gonna drop it down a little bit, not be quite so funky with Mr. Frick's pick. It's
3: time for another What the Riff Slow Jab. <laughs> I love the way that guitar takes that that note up at the very end yeah. of it. So this is Hall Notes. Sarah Smile. And uh, Hall & Oates released this song as the I second single from the Daryl Hall & John Oates album that they released on January 31st, and it's really coming up with the charts in April.
1: This is a great song. I mean, uh, this was a, a, a top 40 song to come oh, out, yeah. but, but this is when they were really good until they got really crappy in the, in the
3: 80s with Man and yeah, stuff like <laughs> What Wayne means I is when they hit I their height fall. of popularity <laughs> in the right. 80s.
0: But I, but this is one of my favorites yeah, of theirs, without a doubt. I love the way he does this. Forever,
3: and those harmonies coming in. Fantastic.
1: Other things that happened in uh, April of 96 in music. Uh, the in rock. 76? April seventy I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Punk rock group uh, The Ramones re, re, uh, released their first album, so punk rock kind of started in the United yeah. States. Uh, Jethro you know Tull God had their album Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to you Die. Mm-hmm. And on his tour stop in Memphis, Tennessee, Bruce Springsteen jumps the wall at Elvis Presley's mansion, we're talking about Ace, uh, Elvis, in an attempt to You're see his idol. Security guards stopped him and escorted him do. off the grounds. I wonder if he ever got to meet meet Elvis. If Bruce Springsteen ever got to meet him,
0: yeah, I guess or yeah, I bet he did. There was, well, there was Springsteen only was year coming left. Up. Was, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, but of course he had Born to Run and all that. So Badlands and I, I, I don't know. Badlands was a couple years later. But
0: it's interesting to me the difference in music for this podcast because you know we kind of had this story from Rush. We had this elliptical seasons kind of sounded mm-hmm. the. The, the yes and the synthesizers and everything then you had golden years which sounded like Elvis then you've got Union man that sound really funky uh-huh and now you've got this is just real mellow I mean a lot of times these podcasts are kind of lining up where they're very similar in genre and today seems really different to me
3: that's right
2: I guess we should have included a true disco song if it really going to be a in a 76 theme. We're we'll, not do gonna, that.
3: we'll do that for May of 76. <laughs> we're not going to jump that shark.
1: Maybe a rabbit hole of disco
3: songs. Uh, so, be more of a sewer hole. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 y'all know, do y'all know who Sarah is in Sarah Smile? No. Okay. Sarah, it's actually singing about Hall's then girlfriend, Sarah Allen. Uh, they were together for almost 30 years. Mm. I dated Sarah Allen. I don't think it was the same one. Probably not.
1: Yeah, a little old for you, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> she was actually a little young for me, but we won't go there.
1: Well, we ended Ooh. April of 76, staff picks. Now we're moving on to our comedy slash uh, instrumental. And who picked I this one out?
3: A lumberjack. This was me, too. Boy, talk about variety. <laughs> so there's a reason for this those of you who follow Monty Python, this is Monty Python's Lumberjack song. And uh, (laughs) they had released Monty Python and the Holy Grail in 75. And PBS had started playing some of the back issues of Monty Python and uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus. So they were hitting the height of their popularity, and they rushed over to New York and did a show um, in which they did a lot of recaps of the, the old... Uh, Monty Python flying circus circus, stuff. And this came out of that. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all
2: night and I work all day. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works all day. I cut down trees,
1: I eat my lunch, I go to the laboratory. On Wednesdays, I go shopping.
3: To the On he so they were hitting they were hitting the oh, height of their popularity away. they they really rushed it out in fact they said uh, yeah, they took the clips from some of the early parts of their uh, of the, the concert
0: Listen, uh, these guys lose it when you yeah
2: here we go.
3: <laughs> they said that the, they had they had problems with the, the mics in the first of it. But they just went with it because they needed to rush it out.
1: movies at the night April of 1976 All the President's Men oh, yeah. Alfred Hitchcock's last movie was Family Plot Stay Hungry The Bad News Bears and then the Rocket Horror Picture Show was officially re-released as a midnight wo- movie at oh, the Beverly yeah. Theater lasted from 76 uh, all the way to 2001 right after 9-11 and then it stopped
3: hmm Well, with that, I think we're going to have to bring this issue of What the Riff to a close.
0: Yeah, thanks for uh, listening. hope hope everybody's enjoyed it.
3: This has been What the Riff, April of
1: 1976. And hopefully you enjoyed it. This is Wayne.
0: This is Rob. Brian. And I'm Bruce. You've been listening to What the Riff? We hope you enjoyed riffing with us, and we invite you to visit WhatTheRiff.com to find and download the music we had on tap today. You can also contact us and request an album that you'd like us to riff about at WhatTheRiff.com. And if you get a minute, like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Links are available on our website. Thanks for listening to What The Riff, brought to you by Pello Windows and Doors. Also, Marbury Creative Group. Tell it better. If necessary,
3: use words.